0: Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, Episode 318 Paradise Icon Reading, Part 1.
1: And now, constructed on a zeppelin by an apprentice mage and delivered by a rocket ship to a benevolent dragon, Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing.
0: Welcome to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, your podcast for science fiction and fantasy media. This is Brent Bowen. And Christy Cherish. I'm back! Yes, she's back! I told you! We're both back. And we may actually, in fact, have back-to-back episodes, meaning an episode each week, and that's only because I had a fabulous group of writers... From Icon, or as I know it, Paradise Icon. I was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa last weekend critiquing and reading and acting like I'm a pro when I'm not a pro, but that's okay because, you know, pros don't make any money, right, Christy? <laughs> that's absolutely right, <great>, Brent. <laughs> but I had a good, we had a good time and you know, it was interesting. My my cohorts in crime at Icon, we were discussing this whole notion. We could, should create an anthology of stories that wayward stories that should find a home. And I'm not going to mention the title because the title we proposed at the bar, we ran it by a couple of the professionals that were there, and that they said you might offend somebody. So we're, I'm going to withhold the title for now until I get the big Kickstarter created around this anthology, but in the meantime, the essence of the anthology is there are a lot of great writers out there that they don't have at home, so for the next couple episodes, I'm going to give you a sneak peek into my icon experience, and we're going to give you our reading for my group. It was a very diverse and eclectic group of very hard science fiction writers to more fantastical writers and I think you'll find maybe something over the hour and a half worth of readings, and I'll break it, we'll break it into two episodes. You might find one story, a- including one from yours truly that I left in there. It's the, uh, and this is very PG-13 as my, my son likes to call it, it's the penis in a portal story that uh, that dad has written and uh, will share with you so not all of the story you're only going to get about a portion of the story I'm just going to leave it at that but there are a lot of great writers out there that you know they have stories that haven't found the proper home yet and so this will be your your. You'll be subjected to all the horrors that are contained within. So I had a great time at Icon. Christy and I've been chatting a little bit offline. We've, it's been six weeks, right? Since we caught up last,
2: which is crazy because it doesn't actually feel like it's been six weeks. Like I I figured maybe three weeks, month. No.
0: That, that just is a uh, testament to how crazy busy we've both been and and what we've been doing. So you've been running around, and I, I want to chat with you about New York Comic-Con a little bit. And then you've got some other conventions you're going to. And Well, let, let's just get into that, because I want to break down the sequence of where's Christy been. <laughs> so oh, New York I, Comic-Con first, I think, would be helpful.
2: Well, the first thing I did was... I actually was in Toronto for a couple of days. Oh, that's Uh,
0: true. I forgot all about that.
2: Yeah, because my publishers, so as everybody knows, I'm, I'm a Canadian, um, so I actually work with the Canadian branches of Simon and Schuster and Random House uh, for my for my Kincaid series, um, versus the um, and I also you know work with the American branch uh, you know with Simon and Schuster. But because I'm a Canadian, I sort of get that extra little little bit there. Um, and so I ended up um, spending the day at Random House Canada, which was awesome. Uh, and got to see the title for, um, or got to see the cover page, not the title, um, for uh, my Kincaid Strange uh, series, the first book, uh, The Voodoo Killings. So that was awesome. Um, and I will, I will be showing it soon. I just, I'm waiting for the okay. <laughs> um, and it's, it's. I'm, I'm pretty ecstatic about it. Like I, I'm probably going to get a poster and have it put up in my room or something at the cover. It's, I, I love it that much. Um, what else? So, and then I went, to, then I did a date Random House, or sorry, I did a date Simon & Schuster uh, and sort of chatted with them about um, books three and four, uh, which, which I got signed, um, which I signed on for a little while ago. Um, and then I flew over to New York to do wait, New York City Comic Con.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Before you flew to New York, though, I remember pictures online of you having a lousy time drinking margaritas, too.
2: Oh yes, that was a random house. See,
0: yeah, all right, you're leaving that out. That was a, pretty
2: fantastic. You're yeah. leaving
0: out the important stuff. All right,
2: important stuff. So there. So yes. Yeah, so definitely, <laughs> there there was some um, uh, beverage consumption uh, at Random House, and then um, also I hung out with my agent and another writer. Uh, that I know um, who does women's fiction. And uh, she actually just hit the Canadian bestsellers list with her debut, which is uh, the Globe and Mail bestsellers list, which is amazing. Um, uh, Karma Brown. So Karma, myself, and my agent Carolyn went out for beer um, at a beer house in, um, uh, in downtown, uh, downtown Toronto. And that was kind of awesome. I forget the name of the beer house, but man, was it
0: ever good! Oh, see, you knew I was going to ask. I
2: knew you were going to ask, which and I've got it on Facebook. Like it's, I'm sure it's posted up on Facebook where I was. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's got beer in the name. Um, and it was really good. So yeah, it was, it was kind of awesome.
0: The fact that you've forgotten the name is a testament to how good the beer house was.
2: Yes. All right. Yes, absolutely. And the names were great too. Um, one of the names. Oh, what was it? Um, they had, like, a werewolf one. That was awesome. And they had, like... Um,
0: you had to do that. You had to say that. I had to say that.
2: I had to say it. <laughs> but they did. They had, like, a werewolf... Por- it was good. It was a good porter, but... Um...
0: <laughs> after after online, I've been accused of being an evil werewolf, then, then, or one-fifth an evil werewolf, right? You had to bring yeah. up the werewolf beer. All right, excellent. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: Yeah, so then then I went to New York City Comic Con for my Thursday panel, and um, the that that was great. Uh, I actually was um, considering that it was Thursday morning of the you know the first day of Comic Con. I was amazed how many people were at our panel, um, and I think part of that was probably due to our moderator, uh, who was Peter Kleins, who was moderating our Urban Fantasy panel, which was awesome because uh, be- I'm I'm a fan of X Heroes, so.
0: And what's Peter Peter's most recent work is The Fold, the right? The
2: Fold. The Fold.
0: Yes. Oh, uh, on my to be read pile.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I I've, I've got my copy. Um I've cracked it open. It's it's I'm not very far into it, but uh, I will I will be doing a little review I think on the website. It's it's yeah. P- Peter Klein's is is fantastic. So one of the things he did actually was he had done research, or he'd done a bit of research on all of us who were going to be on the panel. Um, so he'd read, you know, he'd read a little bit of, of you know, at least, um, you know, like one of our works, um, and sort of looked us up just just so he would be able to come up with some questions, and and so he was familiar with he, with who we were, which was kind, which was incredibly. It just goes to show you how, like, a professional prepares for a panel like that. Uh, and it was hugely flattering. So, because um, I'm I'm a, pan, I'm a fan of Peter's work. So, uh, and I, I got to chat with him a bit, which was great. Um, so that, you know, that was a big highlight. Um, and then we did a signing. Um, so Simon & Schuster got a bunch of, uh, like, boxes of um, Owl in, as well as uh, Michael Underwood's um, uh, new book that just came out which is geek no. i want to say geekamancy but i don't think it is geekamancy i think it's hexamancy okay but it's geekamancy is geekamancy series so we have the same editor it,
0: um, was, it was the one that just recently come out came out yes. not the one he has coming out in the spring
2: no the one he recently the one that just okay. came out okay um on ebook so it's urban fantasy um and so we, we have the same editor at Simon and Schuster, and we both do urban fantasy. So they had the two of us signing together, which was oh, uh, awesome. which was great. And uh, we managed to. So what 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 you do is you um you've got the books and you do a signing, and it's it's free books. Like I mean, every publisher is there doing free books. I think the comic cons are. Not given enough credit in the reading communities as places to go get free signed books. Like it's it's kind of a, you just sort of walk by and usually they're doing some kind of uh, of a giveaway at at least one of the publishers' tables. So you just go chat with people and get free books. It's 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 a great. It's a great place for readers. Oh, um, and uh, so no, we were sort we of giving away the signed books. And so it was, it was a lot of fun, um, you know, and uh, that, so that was a blast. And then um, I got to hang out with my editor a little bit, met, uh, met up with, um, I, I do a little online book club as well. So I got to meet up with one of the, um, one of the other members who happens to live in New York, who, uh, who's Tiffany. So, um, and then headed back to Toronto for a few more days. And then I got back to Vancouver.
0: What a whirlwind!
2: Yeah. So yeah, was
0: sure. th- was this the first year you had gone to New York Comic Con? Yes. First year. Okay. Yes. So you you mentioned this something that surprised you about being a great place for readers and for the literary community or the reading community to not appreciate they ha- may not appreciate the uh, New York Comic Con as being a place to go. What are maybe three other things that surprised you or if you would be a newbie going to New York Comic Con that – Somebody that's going to go should absolutely do.
2: Here, here's my opinion, and this is probably tinted hugely by the fact that I'm a Canadian. Um, one of the things you see people do at comic cons is spend hours and hours and hours in lineups in order to pay for autographs from you know their favorite celebrities and stuff. I would skip that entirely. I would hit the panels, you know, which usually you could just walk right into. Um, usually there's not too much of a line uh, because they tend to get the bigger rooms. And I think a lot of people go to sort of do the celebrity watching. And I think the absolute best thing you can do is hit the panels uh, because they often have, like, the panels is where you're going to find people who are up and coming, who maybe aren't, like, household names, like the Walking Dead, you know, actors, or, um, you know, like um, uh, the Supernatural, um, the Supernatural guys. But they're getting there, or they might be there in another five years, and um, there's some really cool stuff, like often they'll have books to give away, they'll have um, you know, they'll have um, uh, if it's, it's people in games you know, they'll be there talking about their games, they'll be talking about um, you know, uh, different different properties that are coming up, so I would, I would actually spend my time doing the smaller stuff, and I think you have more chances to like meet people and talk to people who are interested in a lot of the same things um, also, I would definitely hit out, hit up the, um, uh, and I didn't have a chance to do this as much as I wanted to, but you'll often, so some of the, the other thing they have is at Comic-Con. So you have the comic book people who, uh, and the comic book artists who will do, um, you know, who, who will do sketches. Right there and then, like they'll, they'll be at the booth, they'll be at the publisher's booth or the, the comic book booth, and they'll be doing sketches, they'll sometimes do workshops, um, and if you walk around the floor where they've got, you know, sort of all the publishers, all the comic book houses, um, you can sort of see, okay, well, who's doing a workshop? Who's I even saw a group who were doing portfolio um, reviews for people, so I, so I think there's just this... I think people are starting to think Comic-Con is sort of a celebrity culture thing, but there are so many other things happening. Uh, and definitely check out some costumes. Definitely talk to people who who are wearing some awesome costumes. That was the other thing that was really great, um, was just seeing the costumes and then talking to people about them.
0: The the cosplay at those conventions has become so sophisticated to, to see some of the backgrounds of the individuals and the time they spend doing it. They actually... My kids love. There was a show on the Sci-Fi Channel that was dedicated exclusively to cosplaying, but uh, to see some of the work that goes into that and some of the robotics folks that are out there. One of my favorite things to do is to go out and and talk to the robotics people. Um, yeah. Whether it's an R two D two unit or something else, it's just a lot of fun to to have a conversation with them and and see what they're doing next.
2: And I, I also don't want to come off as you know slamming the whole celebrity culture thing. I think it's great. That somebody like um, like I mean the fact that felicia day and and a lot of these other you know sort of celebrities in you know, in comic book and sort of, you know, that, that culture, Movie. the fact that they're willing to come to these events and, you know, sit there all day and sign stuff and, and, you know, like sign and meet their fans is, is phenomenal. But I think people are starting to think that's the only aspect of it. Um, and I, I think it's a little sad if that's all you go to see and you miss all this cool subculture stuff that's going on.
0: You no, know, I would agree wholeheartedly. And I've taken my kids to the planet comic con here in Kansas city and uh, folks may remember that we had
1: Carrie Owls. Uh, yeah, we, we had Carrie Carri- uh,
0: yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm trying to remember who else from The Walking Dead. Oh, who else? We had somebody from the cast member from The Walking Dead on, and I'll, I'll get called, put to task on that. But as, uh, that was all panel discussion. Yeah. From a Comic-Con. And I've t- yeah. I, I've taken my kids, and you know they I, they had to meet Peter Peter Mayhew from Chewbacca, and then conversely, I like to have fun because you're not allowed to take pictures. I don't know how it is mm-hmm. at Newark Comic Con, but unless you pay money, you're not allowed to take pictures. And I actually, yeah. got yelled at by Lou Fregno's uh, handler uh, about taking pictures with my mobile device of Lou, and I was telling the handler I wasn't taking pictures of Lou, but of the handler, and she wasn't too she was nonplussed with me. But... <laughs> I said, I, I, said I, th- I find it humorous that you're so aggravated that I'm taking pictures, not of Lou or his back at this point. And you're just yelling at me that the- I had to keep this for posterity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe Maybe I am ha- – or what is that one-fifth evil werewolf? I may I, be. I may be. And <laughs> I I
2: yeah, we'll be sending people to Twitter after this, but <laughs> –
0: Oh, oh my uh, goodness. Well, you have other big news too. So you out to hit the digital shelves, right? Because I got a yeah. notification. My pre-order happened and you have some audiobook news. So you've been, you've been all, I have boring stuff. I mean, it's important kind of boring stuff that's been keeping me really occupied, but you've got really exciting stuff going on.
2: Yeah. So I, I ended up, um, so the audible book rights, uh, were sold for the owl series. Um, audible, um, wanted, uh, wanted the entire series. So um, I actually ended up signing uh, a couple of contracts in a row. I signed my contract with Simon & Schuster for books three and four, uh, which I've already named for the Owl series. Um, Owl and the Electric Samurai, and then Owl and the Tiger Thieves. Um Audible wanted all four. So um, that was kind of awesome.
0: And they're all and, written, right? Pardon? They're all written, right?
2: Yeah, Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, pro pro author tip number one. Don't write the book till somebody's gonna pay you for it. <laughs> or don't I shouldn't say that. Don't write the sequel until somebody's gonna pay you for it. <laughs> Otherwise you could be in a lot of trouble.
0: <laughs> I heard that tip at Icon too. <laughs> yeah. So write,
2: write the first book without getting paid for it, but don't write the second or third one. <laughs> but what's really, really cool is um, uh, Audible looks like they've gotten me a kind of amazing narrator, which I, I sort of mentioned to you. Um, and I, I actually found out because the narrator tweet, uh, tweeted it on Twitter and then posted it on Instagram. So that that was kind of fun. Um, uh, it looks like the narrator. Uh, so I, I haven't heard from Audible, but I, I'm assuming you know she she would um, she she would know since she would be the narrator, having to sign the contracts on that end. But. Um, uh, her name is Christy, Roman, uh, Christy Carls, Carlton Ro, Romano, um, and uh, she's the voice of uh, a cartoon character called Kim Possible, and her voice is kind of amazing for Owl, so I'm, like, incredibly excited about that. So, yeah.
0: My daughter was addicted to Kim Possible for a couple of years. So
2: this, been, and this is what I've heard is that it was a really, really, really popular TV series.
0: It was popular. I need to go back out and listen to the narrator now and, and play and play her. I, I'd save that uh, for my daughter to be able to, to go back and let her know that, uh, she was going to be the narrator for your books, which I think is really cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think it's sort of like an open secret since she announced it. So yeah. that, I can. so, and you know, it's easier to ask forgiveness then, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm really, really excited to hear the books. I, I think that's going to be amazing. Um, and, and they really did pick a perfect narrator. Like I, I could not have, I don't think I could have picked somebody better. Um, so yeah, excited. And, um, yeah, so owl two came out and it's, uh, the reviews have been really good. The most terrifying thing of having a sequel come out, I will tell you right now is not, you know, when your first book comes out, you're kind of like, all right. Um, I didn't ever write this thinking anyone would ever read this. So this is cool. Do people like it? Oh, neat. Um, you know, it's all kind of surreal with the second book when you're writing it, you're writing it with sort of the thought in mind of, okay, well, anybody who's, you know, read book one and liked it is going to read book two. So you're, you're kind of writing it. And in the back of your head, you're like, I really hope that wasn't a one-off and I I can, I can write a second book. Uh, and also that, you know, you're kind of up until the point where it comes out. You're sort of thinking, I want, you know, I, I hope people like the second one. Are they going to like it as much? Are they going to like it worse? Um, so it's so it it's kind of it's hmm. you think it wouldn't be that different, but or you know, it would be sort of a lesser thing than having your first book come out. But it's different and scary in an entirely different way. So, uh, but it's been good. Uh, the reviews have been, um, re- reviews, you're always going to have a variation. Like, I mean, if you ever see a book that's got only ever five star reviews, uh, run the opposite direction because they're probably not accurate or, you know, maybe a bot who's doing the reviews, uh, but it's been incredibly positive so far. Um, uh, a, a number of people have, um, a, a lot of people have liked the second book. Um, they, they think that it, it, was better than the first, which is great. I'm that that just makes me excited. Um, and and you know they liked where it went. Um, you know, and and even people who have said that they 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 liked the first book best. Um, they they still were saying that they've really enjoyed the second one. So it's and I also don't look at the reviews very much to be honest at this point uh, because I've learned and and this is another cool thing I think you learn once you've had a couple books come out is that you cannot anticipate everybody's expectations, um, at all. It's not possible. Um, you know, and, and I'll give you an example. You know, I've had some people say, Oh, well I, I thought our really grew in this series and it was awesome. Um, and then I've seen other people say, Oh no, she doesn't really grow enough. I really hope she grows in the third book. Um, and and there's no pattern to it. It's just it sort of it depends. You know, it depends on the reader. It depends on their experience, which is awesome.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, and you know, my favorite one, my favorite one um, though so far is that I've had somebody. Uh, it was review just just a, a review that somebody tweeted at me. It was um, or, or or they they either emailed it or tweeted it or Facebooked at me, and it was was a fun one because. Often people will say, oh, there's action, action, action. It's it's very much an action series. And then I, there's somebody else was, you know, and, and just to give you an idea of the variation, somebody said, nothing's happened in this book. Nothing ever happened. <laughs> so it's just, it, it just, it's, it's yeah, you cannot predict people's reactions. And I think that's kind of the fun part, too. You're creating art, so.
0: Yeah, you're creating art, art, and reading is really, I've heard radio be called the cinema of the mind, but I think the reading experience is more truly the cinema of the mind. Yeah. Because you're taking every, and we were even discussing this when I was at ICON with um, the the critique group, is that everybody, well, not everybody, but people can have varying opinions because they're supplanting their own personal life experience into the reading experience and so they're taking away or interjecting something into into that experience that's vastly different and yeah. actually Anne Lecky we so the workshop the first day is you know there was a group of 10 of us and we're critiquing each other's work and it's about 5000 words and so we did that for the full uh, first full day then the second day is, you know, we met with a bunch of pros. So luminaries like Joe Haldeman came and presented to us. And you talk about somebody that's truly an artist. And then we would meet with, um, we met with Ann Leckie. And Anne was talking about the differences in the reading experience and the feedback she got, the review she ended up receiving for Ancillary Justice versus Ancillary Sword. Yeah. And this whole second book syndrome and can, if, your character through the first book is completely evolved and grown how do you treat that with the second book well you ended up you end up treating it differently by taking on a different point of view character and it's still within the same universe and then the other characters are still connected but it's a different growth experience you yeah. know in that in that next book and I could find see how not my pre-order dropped on you know on book two for owl but to think about you know the challenge there certainly um, and she she ended up Anne was talking about how she ended up getting feedback around well you should have done this with the same character and so yeah. disappointed i'm so disappointed and so everybody brings their own kind of opinion to the party when, when it comes and to everyone, a book, too.
2: And everyone has their own expectations, too, of going into what they wanted the second book to be, you know. Yeah. Um, and and the, the only thing you can do, and it's very freeing, I think, is the only thing you, you – I, I think the best thing you could do as a writer, um, and this is, you know, from somebody who is, you know, take everything I say as a grain of salt. This is my second book, so – you know really um, listen to what Ann Leckie has to
0: say please uh, over me But um, uh, Ann would this, probably laugh and say you know you probably have it on you have probably have it dead on but right. <laughs> but,
2: but you know it's like um, the, the best thing you can do is just accept the fact that you have no control during the writing process even if you knew even if somebody were to go into the future and give you the reviews that you were going to get before you wrote the first book you, there, there is nothing you can do because you're going to get exact opposites for the exact same book. So it's, you know, it's pick an audience. I, I use my, um, I often use, I've got a good friend of mine, um, uh, and, um, my, my spousal unit over here. And those are the two people who read my book and then my agent and that's it, you know? Um, and then after that it's, uh, because otherwise, you know, once you start getting that many cooks into, you know, once you start getting all of these opinions and all of these feedback, we've well, got that many more people having it, you know, reading it from a different experience and pick an audience, pick a person, write the book and, um, and get it out there. I think Stephen King says that too, to a degree yeah. about picking audiences and stuff and, and using just a handful of people. It's
0: Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. You know who, if you know who your target is and who you're writing it for, then you you don't need twenty different opinions.
2: Exactly. You know, um, and it's it's, and I think just letting go of the idea that oh, if I just had to put that in, or if I just had to written it that way, I think that's a really good way to cripple your creative writing experience and 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 creativity and, and productivity. So.
0: Yes, I have a saying at work even for corporate writing that the only thing that is distil- that is overly distilled and done well is vodka. <laughs> so the, you you can polish the shine right out of a narrative very quickly. Yeah. Yes, you can. So so where where's Christy going to be next? I was having some envy, travel envy here soon. By the time um, this drops, people still might be able to find you. I don't know if they'll be able to find me, and that's okay.
2: So on, on the Canadian map that I have, uh, we call it <laughs> Beer Central. Um, and it's just down the coast. Um, you call it Portland. Um, and uh, so... Uh, Oricon is happening there, as well as Powell's uh, Authors Fest. So Powell's Books does an author fest in um, Portland uh, every year with, uh, that sort of coincides with, um, with Oricon. So I'm actually doing both events, uh, which is fantastic. So um, I'm, I'm going to be doing some really fun panels. Um, they've got a very good lineup this year. So they've actually got uh, one of their guests of honors is um, a Canadian author, Tanya Huff. Uh, and if you if you haven't if you think maybe the name's familiar, she uh, there was a series on back in the late '90s, early 2000s, I think, called uh, Blood Ties, mm-hmm. and uh, that was based on her urban fantasy series set in Toronto about uh, a vampire and a detective, uh, and it you know, was made into a series that I think, I think they had two or three seasons. And uh, she's also been a prolific author in, in uh, fantasy as well. So she's, she's going to be the guest of honor. And uh, also, um, uh, sort of a, a, a writing duo as well is going to be there, um, or at least at least one half, at least one half of the writing duo. Uh, JC Hendy, who does the hair vampire series uh, that I used to read in university. So yeah, they're, they're going to have some fun people there. And beer, yes,
0: and, and beer, and beer. You you call it beer central. I call it heaven. Um, <laughs> considering I was just there last month and had a great time. <laughs> oh, if I could go back, uh, and I might if I can if I can work it out. We'll see. If not, if this, you can then we'll do a joint show from Portland. Oh, that would be so much fun. There we go. That that would be so much fun. So. Any any commitments on interviews that you, you want to mention? So I had, and I'll start. So while I was at Icon, I spent plenty of time chatting up Ann Leckie, and she has agreed to come on the show. So once I've worked out getting through book two, which I'm, I'm working through right now. It's not like it's tedious work for your folks, but I'm reading through it now. I'm, I'm trying to uh, read it with Chuck Wendig's uh, Star Wars Aftermath.
2: Oh, I got to hear what you think about that.
0: Oh, I'm not too far. When you're done. When you're done. Yeah, when when I'm done. done, I'm I'm not too far. Yeah, I'm not too far in yet. I'm like 30, 40 pages, but I'm a. I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. I grew up on Star Wars. Matter of fact, Greg Palacci and I need to have some words. He wrote a review. For, he wrote a review of Aftermath that's going to come out this week, but I got to not to out Greg, because Greg's an awesome dude, and he's been writing some reviews for us. But I have a factual question I need to ask of him before I publish that review. Um, but I'm reading both Aftermath and finishing up um, all my, well, i had been reading for the uh, workshop so and finishing up all those critiques so I had to set it aside to finish you know finish the critiques but now that I'm done I'm I'm into aftermath and I need to finish it before the movie comes out I have pre-ordered tickets to I think three different movie theaters at this point so I need to give some back actually I've had some separate conversations I just don't want to know if if I see that Chewbacca has died online before I actually see the movie, I think I will, I will, um, um, I will have some sort of uh, physiological harm done to myself, and then I'll probably blow a vo- blood vessel or something.
2: Do you want to know a little bit, a little tiny bit of a, of a Star Wars trivia that's happening, uh, and it's with regards to uh, Netflix for 2016? No. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Guess, guess which country is the only one who, so far, is going to be streaming um, Star Wars Episode Seven uh, when it when it comes out for uh, release next year. Guess who's going to be first to get it? Canada. We are. What? Yep, we are, we, we've, they've already signed up. So we're getting, uh, when it, I guess when it hits DVD, I, I guess DVD or digital release, um, uh, we're getting it on Netflix. So that's, that's going to be awesome. Um, the, I, I Hey, yeah, no, well, I'm sure the Americans will get it too, but uh, we'll, we'll get, get it, it at some too. point. But yeah. We, we, we got it this. now. <laughs> we <laughs> we to, will get it. We, we will get it for 2016.
0: You and I need to do this via video because my eye roll would have circled the earth.
2: Oh yeah. 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 No. Um, <laughs> The uh, Oh, the, the movie that I'm really waiting to go see is... Uh, I want to go see the J- new James Bond.
0: Yeah, Spectre looks nice. Have you seen The Martian?
2: I have not yet, and I need to go see that. I just watched Interstellar.
0: Uh, I did too, a couple weeks ago, actually. So, as I was pouring through email and doing a bunch of other things. What did you, th- I, th- what did you I
2: think? I was impressed. Because I'm a scientist, there's this one loop... There's this one plot hole that just irks me to no end... And the plot hole that irks me to no end is um, how the station back on, so NASA back on Earth is receiving signals from these um, pro- from these, you know, um,
0: the probes, uh, yeah, the-, the
2: probes. But they also they're also receiving messages from the the astronauts once they they land on these planets, and then when our main characters go through the um, the, the wormhole and uh-huh. are on the other side. Um, and all of a sudden, they can't send messages back, although they can receive them. And I'm sitting there going, "Okay, <laughs> why?" And, and it was, it, it maybe because I went, maybe because I'm a scientist, but um, or a scientist by training. But I'm sitting there and I'm just like, it irked me through the rest of the movie. Like I enjoyed the rest of the movie. It was, it was brilliantly done. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I wouldn't have picked corn as my surviving crop that, that, that's maybe the only other thing, but you know, something like, um, sugar peas or snap peas probably isn't as sexy as, as, as corn, you know, fields and fields of corn. It's, it's not as visually spectacular. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, so, but I I thought it was a good choice for the plot. Um, but yeah, the wormhole thing, the signals through the wormhole thing really bugged me. I'm like, why can't you get, and even if they just had said, you know, their transmission was down or something, I would have been like, okay, all right, I'm good with this. But yeah.
0: I had yeah. Wa- I had wa- I had wondered the same thing. The Michael Caine storyline uh intrigued me to no end around yeah. this uh that was heartbreaking to me.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, but ended up having some rede- you know having some redemption with the oh who's the actress? Her ended up having to hit having to pick up his pieces.
2: Yeah, the daughter. Yeah, yeah the I, I can not remember
0: the name either. Yeah. I'm horrible with that stuff. That's why we don't do movie reviews.
2: Yeah, th- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's awesome. So I, so I, I've got a couple of people lined up, and uh, I guess you and I got to talk and figure out how we're going to do the interviews. If we're going to, if we're going to um, uh, double up and, and chat with them, or if uh, if we're, you know, if I'm going to um, do a couple of them solo. But um, so, Faith Hunter. We don't have a date yet, but she's agreed to come on the show. She's a huge urban fantasy author, and uh, I, I, I love her series, Jane Yellowrock. and she's, she's a fascinating woman. Um, I've seen her on panels before, and she's an absolute riot, so I, I think everybody's going to love love hearing what she has to say um, uh, about whatever we decide to talk about. The other author who has agreed to come on the show, and I'm very excited about, is Peter Kleins. Yeah, so in probably November, December-ish, we're going to do, we got to set up that interview. And as well, the other author who has agreed to come on the show is a fellow by the name of Jordan Stratford. And I was just pulling up his book now. Um, Jordan is from the same small island as me. Salt Spring Island in, uh, in Canada, which has a population of about 10 to 15,000. Um, and he's another, uh, he's, he's with Random House. He's another, um, author. He writes, um, a a kid's book called Wollstonecraft Detective Agency Series. Um, and, uh, he, he originally kickstarted it, but, um, he's now like, I mean, he's, he's got, um, uh, he was talking about film. He was, I met him at New York city comic con oddly enough. Um, he was doing panels there. He was just at the um, uh, Vancouver International Film Fest- uh, um Writers Festival here doing panels. Um, they're, you know, talking about some film stuff for his book. He started off kickstartering his book. Uh, and it's, it's been a bit of a hit um, and it's about Mary Shelley, who's the author of Frankenstein um, and uh, Ada Lovelace, who's the world's sort of first computer programmer Um, and they're basically in this, um, you know, detective agency type, uh, type story aimed at kids. Um, so I think he's going to be, he's, he's a riot as well. Um, uh, I actually got to go to my very first publisher's party, random houses, uh, party at the, um, uh, at the, the writers, the, um, the Vancouver writers festival that they had downtown, uh, just past week. And, um, it was really funny because there are these two authors who are walking by who have name tags, and I'm, I'm sitting there talking to Jordan and his wife, and um, they stop, and they, they're going to talk to Jordan. And, you know, Jordan introduces them. This is Jeff Vandermeer and, um, <laughs> uh, and, yeah. and Anne Vandermeer. Yeah. And I'm sort of looking at them like, wait a minute. I know you two. I read your books. <laughs> um, and um, they, it, it was funny, because I, you know, J- Jordan introduced me to them, and I, I'm just sort of, I'm 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 just thinking of ways to, 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 you know, things to come up with. And they were tired and they were were like, oh, we're we're actually just going to get out of here. But um, we we got to talk to Anne for, um, I got to chat with Anne for a little bit. Um, And she's got uh, an anthology coming out soon and it's actually got she she was talking about how it's going to have um some stories in it uh or or you know a fair, fair bit of stories in it that are not from english as a first they're they're in, um they're they're not they're translated so they're wow. not from english language i cannot wait to read that because often we don't get translations and i think sometimes some of the most interesting sci-fi Um, That I've read is being done in a a different language. So I can't wait for that. And then of course they were walking away before I could say, please come on the show. Hi. So anyway, maybe I'll email them and beg, but, but Jordan's going to come on. So I think that's, I I think people are going to get a kick out of that. Just, just, just his pathway into publishing.
0: Yeah, I well, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much about getting them on the show. It would be lovely to have them on the show. I'm not <laughs> going to say that it's not, but our our schedule uh, and I had mentioned to folks, so folks should uh, a couple episodes ago, based on your and my's uh, harried schedules over the next couple months and getting into the holiday season. Uh, we may be every other week going through yeah. the rest of the year. I'm hopeful with the readings, and Christy mentioned some of the other authors we'll talk to, and we're going to work to get Anne Leckie on the show as well before year's end. And there'll be some other, I would say, genre kind of culture episodes that I'm actively working, and I don't want to put anybody on the spot. I've had a couple of folks agree to be on the show that kind of cover or, or really into geek culture and I think provide a unique twist on geek culture. So we're going to work uh, to have them on the show and I think they'll be be interesting. But is, what's fascinating, you were talking about the translation items and I think we're going to see with uh, Six and lose uh, the three body problem, um, I think we'll probably see more of that at least in the near term as long as yeah. there are good stories that have been done um, that are worth that are worth translating I mean there's a German novel that I absolutely love that was translated to English it's more of a horror novel than anything and and then made into a movie with Alan Rickman called Perfume yeah Um, that's all kind of sensory overload from smell and it's absolutely fabulous and and so as long as there are great stories coming from you know other languages and from other cultures I think you will end up seeing more of that in the near term so it'll be great
2: which is amazing. And, you know, the other one, too, that people do not realize is a translation from Polish is The Witcher. Mm. That entire series is based on a Polish novel, Polish fantasy series. Um, so it's yeah, no, I am. I, um, it's, it's, so anyway, so that was a neat little tidbit um, that uh, that I got. But the Random House Party was cool. They they did they did have an open bar and they had uh, they had they had some awesome beer on tap uh, Gypsy Tears which is a, which is a great BC one so um, and and lots of authors and uh, so it was it was a lot of fun.
0: Well, that is that is excellent. You and I, well, what
2: what? Yeah.
0: You feel me closing on you, don't you? Yep. <laughs> which we. You know, I've got. We've got to bring these folks to listen to the reading of these underappreciated authors. They need. They need to hear this in this episode. So, and uh, Christy and I are both. We were kind of laughing about this before we even got on formally. I think we've been on like two hours now. Um, yeah. Not quite two hours. Just catching up because it's been six weeks. So, we promise we won't make you wait as long. But I'm gonna take these folks over to the. Uh, some of the underappreciated authors you're not going to hear me in round one of this batch i was towards the end of the reading but you're going to hear a bunch of uh tremendous authors and i'll make sure i properly name them in the show notes but until next time when christy and i are together everybody take care okay bye guys
3: Good evening. I am going to read you the story, The Rescuers. It is from a published book called Storm, something about the storm. (laughs) Yeah, ask me when I haven't been at a con for three days. (laughs) Octavia caught up with Malachi just outside the city on the road. You were supposed to land next to me, not a mile away. She had seen nothing to tell her they were not in the right time as she traveled along the recently paved asphalt road. I get claustrophobic. I have to report you this time, Malachi. Not like you didn't find me. That's not the point. Octavia grabbed his arm to make him face her. You were a lot more fun before you came a stickler for the rules. The rules are there for a reason. He frowned. It's not like you ever lose me. You track me by GPS. One of these days, you're going to land in the wrong time. I can't be wondering if something happened during the jump or if you just miscalculated your little prank. Malachi had no response as they navigated through the town. How do you think they managed to grow all this stuff? The grass covers all the dirt. He crashed down to touch the plants. Octavia sighed, don't you ever read the project files? We're here before the war. This is what it's supposed to be like. Malachi grinned, really? Why don't we relocate and stop worrying about it then? She hated it when he teased her. While Octavia knew he had visited pre-war times, Malachi had not done so without with her. They don't have regular space travel. You'd hate it. Pity. And don't forget that, the most pop of the, that most of the population would never pass for human by their standards. They've also settled all the untamed lands by this time, so we'd never go unnoticed. We have our orders. Let's get on with it." Octavia took the lead, navigating the city without the use of her computer. See if you can find the date. It's supposed to be on March 15th. Year 2014, I do read the project files. He fell silent a moment ever feel like we're stealing from the past? No, we only take the ones that die unnoticed. She led him into an apartment building and climbed the stairs to the top floor. Standing in front of number 17, she knocked on the door. How do you know? Couldn't it be they weren't missed because we took them? Stop being circular if a small girl opened the door a crack. Who are you? Malachi raised an eyebrow. We're looking for your mom. Is she home? The child turned and shut and locked the door on them only the ones that won't be missed huh how'd they miss the kid malachi looked as shaken as octavia felt how they miss the kid she moved to check the computer but the lock noisily opened octavia hit her wrist as the door revealed their mark the profile of the woman they sought flashed through octavia's memory mid-20s cafe au lait complexion average height slightly chubby Can I help you? The tired looking woman held the door with one arm, sheltering her apartment from view. Angela Nichols, Malachi's soft voice betrayed none of the shock Octavia had seen in his face from the presence of the child. Octavia compared the woman's features to the photo from the file. She guessed Malachi did the same. They did not need to confer. Octavia could not question her identity. The woman nodded, is something wrong? No, we just need to ask you a few questions. Can we come in? Angela looked from Malachi to Octavia. Who are you? Malachi had his business card out faster than Octavia. Census Bureau, you should have received a letter from our office. She scrutinized both their cards. I'm sure you could ask from here. Octavia frowned. She had not encountered such suspicion from anyone else she had visited in this time frame. The suspicion came later when the government agencies tried to outmaneuver each other at the citizens' expense in the 2030s. She knew her history well. Octavia hated surprises on missions. We're sorry to disturb you, Ms. Nichols, but this will only take a minute. Then you could ask here. It's rather personal. For the census, I doubt it. Angela turned her head to shush the child who had started yelling inside the apartment behind her. Octavia exchanged a glance with Malachi. The longer they stayed stalled in the hallway, the more they risked the mission. She thought Malachi understood what she meant. It won't take long if we could just come in. Angela shook her head at them moving to close the door malachi shoved against it knocking angela back octavia glanced around for onlookers then followed on his heels as he forced himself into the apartment he covered angela's mouth before she could scream the child made up for both of them with her terrified shrieks octavia crossed the room in three leaps holding the child firmly enough to cut off her cries taking the kid too malachi looked amused do we have a choice not really just making sure you didn't eliminate her Stop it, you'll scare her more than she already is. Octavia worked the sedative patch out of her pocket and ripped it in half. She placed one of the pieces on the child's forehead and held her until she lost consciousness. Grabbing a second patch, she hit Angela next. As the woman relaxed into a deep sleep, Octavia moved to look through the small apartment. Watch them, as if they'll move now that they're sleeping. Malachi, I know, I know. Three rooms branched off the hallway. Octavia checked each room, a bathroom and two bedrooms, but no other surprises greeted her. Ever been on a mission where the recon was all wrong? Not until this one. What do we do? Take her. What else can we do? Malachi shrugged. You're the leader. Malachi, I mean it. Most of the city will be destroyed in 14 hours by the coming hurricane. Does it really matter? Yes, if only to prove that we need better intelligence. Sounds like an excuse to keep the kid as a pet to me. What are they gonna do with a kid? Angela at least has some value to us. The child might also be useful, Octavia dodged his other comment. He knew her too well. She had a soft spot for children, so she could not have any. The pollution had, nearly le- had left nearly seven in 10 women unable to bear children, which made their mission to take those who could or who would not be missed from the past. I doubt the girl will live to reach an age to breed. If she lives to maturity, it'll be a larger testament to keeping her away from the pollution than her genes are worth. The woman will be lucky to give us one child, you know that. Don't make me pull rank, she's going. Malachi shrugged, you're in charge, Octavia. You pull rank and I'll start calling you Major. Just grab her, we need to get back to before the storm hits. She didn't try to differentiate between the hurricane and the problems from their own time. They needed to get back before the time window closed. Malachi lifted Angela gently, offering his wrist to Octavia to set coordinates. She hefted the sleeping child in her free arm, trying to find her balance. Be right behind you. She programmed both of their computers for the 11th of June, 2113, and time headquarters, then stood to watch Malachi disappear from their target. 14 seconds later, she followed with the girl. Octavia wobbled on arrival. She felt older, though her brain told her she hadn't aged. The recycled too often air in the shelter felt dingy, stale. Breathing lightly, she acclimated within minutes. She keyed her supervisor from the computer. General Litkin, Major Miller, mission completed. Your presence is requested in holding cell 082B. Her eyes fell to the child in her arm. Code green, out. Acknowledged, the general's reply sounded off. Litkin had been distracted or confused. Don't you think you're getting out of a rep, or don't think you're getting out of reprimand because of this, Malachi? I'm still writing you up. Malachi nodded, monitoring the sleepers. She hated his relaxed attitude. She knew he knew she had trouble going through the reprimands. She firmed her resolve against him because the side trips had to stop. Litkin entered. Code green, Major. His eyes fl- filtered over the cell and his documents. What's that? A kid the recon was wrong octavia gestured to the girl thinking how she'd explain. she decided to bring the child back her breath caught when she noticed Lipton's uniform colonel something had rippled it was worse than bad recon right we don't bring back kids but why did you take the private with you and why is he dressed like a captain's uniform octavia grants from Lipton to malachi maybe the recon hadn't been all wrong something about the child changed everything Sir, the recon was wrong. She pulled up a report from her computer. Look, it's from you regarding Captain Malachi, and you signed it General Litkin. Litkin regarded the communique from us for a moment. Fix it, Major. He cleared at all of them in the room and left. Octavia and Malachi exchanged looks. Who is she to be this important? Octavia shook her head. She desperately wanted to see what else had rippled, but the longer they stayed, the more they would... The world would absorb permanent changes. The time window ticked against her too. They had to go. Malachi let out his breath slowly. Okay, so do we just return the kid or both of them? Octavia shook her head. She gazed at the sleeping girl. Just the kid, I guess, but when? She can't take care of herself. Whatever you say, Major. He picked up the child. Wait, I can help you fix this even though I'm supposedly a private, right? You'd better, and no funny business at jump, got it? Malachi grinned. He exposed his wrist for her to program the coordinates. She took her time with the calculations to appear about a minute after they disappeared the first time. Whatever was meant for the child had to happen before the storm hit, so they had to stay until it happened. Recon missed something, an overnight trip or a family connection. Someone should have mentioned the child at some point or given specific instructions for how to avoid her. Her own computer took less time to program when she had the initial coordinates. She landed exactly half a second and three feet from Malachi and Angela's apartment. The girl still slept, and he placed her on the couch. Now what? Malachi looked up at her from his crouch. Octavia shrugged. Your guess is as good as mine to figure out what to fix. He watched her, then stood. Wait? She glanced at the clock in the kitchen. The child wouldn't have issues with the sedative patch yet. We only have a few hours. After that, we'll have to leave her. Malachi nodded. She heard him going through the kitchen. What are you doing? Passing time. It's not like they're gonna use this stuff. He gestured over the array of snacks he found. She considered the implications before she sat opposite him. It was true, the food was not likely to be missed. Make me some then too. Whatever you say, Major. Octavia rolled her eyes. He laid out salami, cheese, crackers, and slices of apple. It was a feast only available in the past, and she knew they both enjoyed every bright. He also found a couple of cans of soda. She knew the caffeine would play havoc on their systems, but she savored it anyway. A knock on the door interrupted them. She got up and pulled the sleeping patch off the child's head. Then she let the little girl run to the door to the second knock. Luckily, the patch had few lingering effects for short-term use. As she swung the door open, the girl screeched her happiness at the woman. Mama! The woman looked harried. She placed a wad of cash in Octavia's hand. Was she in any trouble? Octavia shook her head. The woman did not seem to notice octavia wasn't angela good come on chloe the two left octavia sat down with malachi might as well finish then we'll go back she hated the food to go to waste she was also in no hurry to find the future forever changed whether this worked or not there would be no time to make more changes he chuckled into his hand so that's what happened with recon huh wasn't her kid it doesn't excuse them one bit i'm still writing them up for the mission too private Malachi's happy expression evaporated. I'm not complaining as long as you let me eat. (laughs) Octavia nodded lifting her soda can in salute. She figured the storm had hit in three hours as long as the recon didn't miscalculate the time window too. She hoped leaving the kid fixed the discrepancies instead of compounding the ripples into a mess she couldn't fix. Who was that girl anyway? He tapped into his wrist computer. Chloe is a very popular name in this time period. Well she can't be related to you. Malachi nodded. I didn't feel different. The food was gone too fast. We have to get back. We'll look her up when we get back. She reached over and reprogrammed Malachi's coordinates, then her own. They reca- entered the compound away from the holding cells. Octavia punched the partial name and proximate birth year of the mysterious child. She didn't look for the ripples yet. There was a risk time they took someone from the past. Only one match cross-referenced with Malachi's record. His first rescue in 2045 was Corin Loxley, who had an older sister named Chloe. He had been supervised by Colonel Lickin, who was then promoted to, for the first successful rescue. Octavia's wrist bleeped. It's the last paragraph. Okay. Octavia's wrist bleeped as the time window closed. Too late to make changes, so she hoped that everything else had unrippled as they put Chloe back. She and Malachi separated to check in with the leads. She had a ton of paperwork to fill out for the recon team and Malachi's little pranks.
4: Okay, so I'm going to just read a couple of short flash pieces. Uh, This first one is called Prelude to a Hoax. It took about an hour to return from Bonita Springs with my haul. Two cartons of Marlboro Reds and eight one-gallon jugs of orange juice. The public supermarket's full stock. Clean them out. The clerk had joked about catching up on my vitamin C. Gave up when it became clear I wasn't about to elaborate. They also warned me that they were about to expire, but, well, that was the point. Darlene was back from a morning tourist group when I arrived at the lodge. She helped me set up the dumpster traps down near the river. You sure this is what attracts these things, Jimmy? She said, popping the tops on the gallon jugs. Once they go rancid, I heaved open jugs into the row of dumpsters. Elroy says it's the closest we can come to their pheromones, and he's had two close encounters, says he. She reached into the hatchback, pulled open the bag behind the last jug, and found the gorilla suit. You're going through with it." I shrugged. Hope I won't have to, but if they don't show this year, I'm not leaving without a souvenir. I folded my arms as she shook her head. Hey, you're the one who gave the ultimatum. Don't start, she said. I've been supporting this obsession of yours for five years running. Is it so wrong I'd rather spend our vacation on a beach or at Disney World, anywhere but the damned Everglades? It's not an obsession, it's a hobby, but you aren't wrong. This summer, I get my ape, one way or the other. This was our fifth summer volunteering at Skunk Ape Tours. Five years of hearing about everyone else's encounters. Old Man Jeffers had pictures printed in every Florida paper. Elroy had thousands of hits on his site. Linda Manning had a tuft of hair she pulled off its back from when it tried to eat her vishla puppy. The tourists asked every year, and I was the only guide with no story to tell. I could make something up, I suppose, but I wanted evidence, something I could show and tell. The first week ended with empty hands and empty dumpsters. One expedition heard the creature's call, moi, like an exaggerated kiss. But as usual, I was not present. Left with dwindling vacation time, I began to plan my forced encounter. I studied the wealth of sightings on YouTube from UFOs to chupacabras, and devised my own list of rules for creating a hit-worthy hoax. Rule one, don't leave a trail. I'd driven all the way to Fort Myers to rent the costume two hours north. No one around here had seen me picking up a gorilla suit. Rule two, high resolution is your enemy. I dug out my old Sanyo flip phone from college. Nothing smart about it. The screen was cracked and the battery held a charge for about 20 minutes, but the camera was perfect. Blurry images the size of a postage stamp. Uh, High def is your waterloo when you've got a zipper down your back. Rule three, shake it like a Polaroid picture. No tripod or sure hand will do. Steady images are verifiable images. Rule four, allow for lack of physical evidence. Make up whatever doozy you like, but give a reason why no evidence was left behind. Swamp is a great setting for this. No fake tracks necessary when the ground is underwater. Laugh all you like. Ghost hunters have mined years of TV ratings out of smudges on windows and ambiguous squeaks and whispers. The public doesn't want to actually see the damn spirits. Just jumpstart their imaginations. Give them a hint and they'll provide the rest. Moi. The sound raised my hackles inside the stuffy suit. I turned real slow, my breath fogging up the eye holes. The smell clobbered me like rotten eggs dipped in vinegar. Twin black marbles studied me from within a mass of tangled red fur, poking out from behind the nearest dumpster. Mwah. The creature eyed me with intent, then turned to flee, probably because I didn't smell like Tropicana gone bad. Who the hell is that? You recruited a backup? Darlene's voice from behind. I turned back toward the cabin where she was shooting away with the old Sanyo phone. ape, I cried, muffled by the mask. Get the good camera, dammit. What? I can't understand you. Was that thing real? I got it on video. I tore at the rubber snout until the head came off. My hair matted with sweat. Get the good camera, Darlene. Mr. Travers, is that you? Not Darlene's voice. I looked past her to the neighboring cabin. A Midwestern couple from my tour group doubled over with laughter on the front porch. (laughs) Trying to pull one over on us, Jimmy, her husband managed between guffaws. Not me, I said, pointing in breathless. It's out there, I saw it. Nice try. The wife smiled, aimed her brand new smartphone in my direction, aimed to the teeth with, armed to the teeth with megapixels. I was up on Facebook before I reached the cabin, north of two million hits by the time we packed up and made it home. Not the souvenir I'd been hoping for, but at least I'd made an impact. <laughs> Rule five, do not attempt during tourist season. <laughs> <laughs> this one's called, Sunny Dispositions are Half Price Today Only. I'm late for golf. Caroline, please don't make me ask again. Please verify your half of the order today so I can, they can seed the tanks. Martin and his schemes. Why do I need to sign off? It's your DNA, I said. He laughed, hefting his clubs as he opened the door. Hey, it's your backup husband. I mean, you're the one who has to live with him if anything happens to me. Tank bread replacement spouses, our anniversary gifts to each other. Hadn't been my idea, but it was all the rage in the exclusive zip codes. Martin had already ordered his backup wife. I fired up the browser on my tablet as he left, tapped the link for order verification. With any luck, this little exercise would prove frivolous. A backup would only be delivered on the original's untimely demise. Standard default settings had been established based on the battery of physical and intellectual tests we'd endured. Everything appeared in order at first glance. Height, weight, eye color, all of that. The rendered image certainly looked like him other than the missing scar from that wild night in the Seychelles. I could have that back too if I added it manually. It appeared as an option under recommended modifications. (laughs) Why not browse a bit before hitting accept? Martin could hardly fault me for fixing a few of the things he didn't like about himself. An increase of an inch or two in height, follicle stimulation to counteract that receding hairline, (laughs) and why not bump up his metabolism just a skosh so I won't have to get on his case about hitting the gym minor adjustments a tick on each slider that would improve life for both me and my stand-in hubby i saved my work but didn't complete the order other adjustments might come to me throughout the day after all lord knows what he'd adjusted in my own profile (laughs) i found myself on the tablet again after dinner while martin watched sports in the living room He'd nagged me again to finish the order, and honest to God, I opened the invoice with the intent to just submit the thing, but it was so easy to tweak these settings, and I had to admit, fun. What would he look like with darker hair, like my crush from college? Very striking with dark eyes as well, maxing out the melanin concentration on the iris color wheel. Drilling deeper, I ran into allergies and sensitivities. It would serve him right to add a shellfish allergy just so he'd stop giving me grief about my own. We out of Stella hun? Oh wait, it's hiding in the back. I hadn't noticed Martin at the refrigerator in search of beer. I stabbed at the save button and backed out to the main menu before the program re-rendered back up Martin's appearance. Finally taking care of that, eh? he said. Yep, all done. He peered over my shoulder as I hit accept. Will be nice to get that off to the lab. He burped softly and I cursed myself for forgetting to modify his acid reflux threshold. <laughs> I couldn't sleep to save myself that night thinking about my backup husband and the notice attached to the confirmation email. No refunds or cancellations. Order modifications only permitted within 24 hours of submission. I still had time to dial in the perfect companion. Martin continued to snore as I reached for my tablet on the nightstand. The grand total for our order had nearly doubled with my additions, but it would be worth it. For once it worked to my benefit that he was a horrible accountant. I kept swiping until an untouched category caught my eye behavior my tap triggered an alert pop-up Note: nurture mods do not include this in guarantees as nature mods no liability is assumed for unexpected results click agree to continue in for a penny as they say (laughs) I swiped to the left adjusting his wit scores until they fell out of a range his upbringing was within low normal Should I modify his memory implants to spare him a broken home? I scoured the matrices for some clue as to how to tame his workaholic tendencies, but didn't trust myself to tease out those settings. Better to suffer an occasional Scotch dinner plan than risk turning him into a layabout. Uh, I saved my work again and waited for the re-render. Who was this man staring up at me? I'd never met him before, that was certain. Was he so designed for perfection he'd tire of my own foibles? He wouldn't need me to nag him about what he ate or whether he paid the residence club dues. And what of the reverse? It pained me to think of Martin paired with a better version of myself. No food allergies or appendix scar or late night neuroses. Would he be happier? Babe, what the hell? Martin squinted into the harsh light as I snapped on a reading lamp. Just a question I need answered, I said, arms folded. He groaned, half buried into the pillow. Jesus, what time is it? Can't this wait? What did you change about me? What? The backup, I said. What modifications did you make to my settings? He sat up on one elbow. You serious? Not a damn thing, why? Come on, fess up, I won't be mad. Bigger breasts, maybe? Don't be crazy, he said, shaking his head. The whole point was, to not be left without you. And let's be honest, if I wanted a whole other person, it would just be cheaper to remarry. Go to sleep. (laughs) I laughed in spite of myself and he pawed at the lamp and the room grew grew dark again, but for the glare of the screen in my lap. I poked and prodded and confirmed my changes until the order was restored to standard default. Yes, default would work just fine. The end. (laughs)
5: this is a story that was inspired um, from being at a Tony Robbins-style sales uh, presentation. So it's called Sparking the Light of Change Within. Michael stood in the buffet line trying to choose between attending the next conference session or stabbing himself in the eye with a spork. (laughs) The spork was made of biodegradable, organic, non-GMO, gluten-free cornstarch, and he knew having it in his eye would suck. But a whole hour of sparking the light of change within the Get It Guy's Guide to Sales would likely suck more. Still undecided, he stabbed instead at a slice of fat-laced ham that smelled way past its expiration date. The neon orange cheese next to it sweated under the lights of the heating lamps. Come on, man, Stan, his cubicle mate, came up beside him and grabbed his arm. Let's go. Of the 200-plus demons who worked at the West Cleveland branch of the Soul Exchange motto, where you can exchange your soul for riches, Michael liked Stam best, despite the latter's hipster tendencies. He hid his horns under a knitted hat, and instead of a refined goatee, he wore a full-on beard, like ZZ Top, or Jesus. He talked nonstop about how much better the devil went down to Georgia sounds on vinyl. He quoted Jack Kerouac like he knew the man. In short, if hell had a Portland, Stan would live there. (laughs) On the positive side, their cubicle always smelled of artisanal coffee and Stan taught Michael how the latest gadgets worked. So all in all, a win. Michael, on the other hand, played up the whole demonic thing. He used emu oil to keep his black hair glistening and blue contact lenses to give him that extra special pop. Mm -hmm. Black jeans, white t-shirts, and motorcycle jackets completed his early 2000 sexy vampire look. And it usually helped him get sales. But not this quarter. What with all the self-help books and evangelicals, human felt all good and squishy about themselves. His sales had plummeted, which was why he was here, choosing between a spork and a breakout session. Michael shook off Stan's grip and headed towards the desserts, where Mr. Reaper, their boss, hoovered up deep-fried cannelloni and gelatinous mystery tarts. Michael, he barked as bits of jelly dribbled down his chin, landing on his blue and red striped power tie. Underneath the tie, his shirt buttons tried and failed to cover a patch of gray thick hair. Michael stared transfixed. Stop contemplating my tie and get into that sales meeting. You missed your quota this quarter. Am I happy about that? I don't know, sir, you tell me. The answering look told Michael that he was this close to going too far. With your numbers, I hope you're preparing for life in purgatory. Mr. Reaper's voice still boomed, even through a mouthful of cream and dough. A demon who doesn't meet his sales quota can choose between moving to the slums of purgatory or having an appendage chopped off. Since everyone in purgatory spent their days in line at Hell's DMV listening to Burt Bacharach and their evenings literally watching paint dry and grass grow, most chose amputation. Come on, man, I don't want to have to visit you in purgatory, and I know you like all your fingers and toes, Dan said, echoing Michael's thoughts. Get your shit together. He dragged Michael toward the Eighth Circle Ballroom. Mm -hmm. Beyond the yawning maw of the entrance, folding chairs sat locked together in rows and microphone feedback screeched through the speakers. It, of the, it smelled of the sweat and desperation build up over decades of team building exercises. As Michael and Stan stepped in, Ronnie, the new sales demon, ran out, his hands flailing. No, he screamed, he screamed, not another sales meeting, I can't. <laughs> the bouncer working at the door side and spoke into the company issued iWatch at his wrist have got a runner. Send one of the horsemen. <laughs> Apparently, conquest, war, famine, and death were busy because it was the fifth horseman, Sarah, from the meetings department, <laughs> who materialized and dragged Ronnie back. He squirmed in her clutches and would have screamed, except she'd covered his mouth with duct tape. She hogtied him and left him bound and gagged at the front of the room. Michael sighed and walked through the door. A perky blonde in a pink t shirt, emblazoned in multicolored sparkles with the words Team Spark, greeted him. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tiffany from Team Spark. I'm here to help you be the best sales demon you can be. Here's your 42 page handout. Please sit in the front. Michael winced at her exclamation points and shielded his eyes as her sparkles bounced off the fluorescent lights. She dusted her hair and face in iridescent powder and her thick shimmering eyeshadow framed big blue vacant eyes. Even her fingernails had inlays of multicolored sequins. Knowing humans loved him, he turned on some of his patent number 5252666 charm. Mm -hmm. He let his eyes flash red through the blue contacts resulting in a glow the color of South African mine, Tanzanite. Chicks love that. But she ignored him and turned to stand who was walking through the door behind him. Hi, I'm Tiffany from Team Spark I'm here to help you be the best sales team you can be here's your 42 page handout. Please sit in the front Right, Michael muttered irritated. He turned to Stan. Let's ignore that request and sit in the back. Shall we? Stan followed him to the last row where Michael took out his phone with the intention of updating his Facebook status to a frowny face and the Statement conferences suck no Wi-Fi. "'Of course there's no Wi-Fi,' Michael thought. "'It's a conference in hell.'" (laughs) Michael scowled at his phone while the demons around him chattered. After a few minutes, Mr. Reaper stepped up to the podium and cleared his throat. "'Ladies and gentlemen, we have a great speaker for you today. He's here to help you spark the light of change within and turn souls into sales. Now I'll warn everyone,' he learned to the audience as if revealing a great secret. Michael leaned back, refusing to be taken in. "'He's human.'" Gasps echoed throughout the room. Michael sat up straighter and stared. A human? And he's never made a deal with any of us. More gasps. Mr. Reaper looked satisfied at the reaction. He's here to tell us why we haven't succeeded, but after he shows us the ropes, I'm sure we will. And without further ado, let me introduce the Get It Guy. Get It Guy jogged onto the stage, pretending to rock out to Highway to Hell. Thank you so much for that great introduction, Mr. Reaper, and it's a pleasure to be here at the Hell's Hotel Inferno with you fine demons. He raised his hands as if to quiet the tepid applause. Sweat stains already showed under his arms, and only the top of his balding head peeked out over the podium. But he'd strapped on a wireless lavalier, which allowed him to prance around on the stage like a crazed leprechaun. Let's get started by getting to know each other. Turn to someone near you, someone you don't know, and share what's causing you to fail as a salesperson. (laughs) (laughs) Shit, Michael thought, a meet someone new icebreaker. He stood up and turned to Stan, who refused to meet, he refused to meet someone new. My biggest challenge is that my cubicle mate is an ass. Stan laughed. Mine is that my cubicle mate sets a really low bar.
1: <laughs>
5: they laughed together, but the mirth died as Tiffany came over. Hi, I'm Tiffany. <laughs> yes, I know, Michael said. We have a moment. We had a moment at the door. Don't you remember? You gave me a handout. I admired your shirt. It was really something. <laughs> Tiffany's face glowed with perky joy. She thinks you're a serious, man, Stan said. Tiffany Tiffany looked from Michael to Stan and back again. Her look turned from joy to sad puppy, to pissed off puppy, as Michael's words hung in the air between them. Setting her lips in a straight line, she glared and Michael took a step back. Her glare was surprisingly fierce for such a perky person. You'll pay for that, she spat. She turned and stalked back to her spot by the door just as Get It Guy called the room to attention. And what did we learn from this exercise, he asked. Leonard, the suck-up dweeb from accounting who still lived in his mother's basement, yelled out, I learned we all share many of the same challenges. Yes, excellent work. And that leads me to the SPARK technique I'm here to teach to you today. Great, Michael thought an acronym. The lazy speaker's way of shoving pedestrian advice into something memorable, usually with poor results. Get It Guy rubbed his hands together. I know you're dying to know what that is. Dying? Michael wished he had that option. Get It Guy pulled up the first slide. A gigantic S swirled onto the screen in 1,382 size font. And one word description followed. The S equals share. Get it guy said it like he was talking to a bunch of backward fourth graders who couldn't read the gigantic word in front of them. You'll want to share something about yourself that will make the customer comfortable. Leonard and the rest of the dweebs up front somehow managed to take at least a full page of notes on that one point. (laughs) The next letter swirled up. The P is for pain. You need to find the customer's pain and exploit it. I know you demons will excel at that, right? Polite chuckles slithered from about 10 demons. Ronnie, still bound and gagged at the front, let loose a muffled cry and thrashed around. (laughs) Another swirl then, the A is for ask. By this I mean you should ask the customer what they would be willing to do to heal that pain. The R is for repeat, repeat that back to them along with your proposed solution. And finally a K swirled onto the screen. And finally there's a K, anyone know what K stands for? Kerosene, Kamikaze, Karaoke, Michael thought any of those would be preferable to this. <laughs> anyone know it stands for Keep At It? Get It Guy looked as if he expected thunderous applause and a full trumpet fanfare. This, the humble K, was his crowning glory. No one said anyone, anything, he frowned. 147 PowerPoint slides later, he concluded with a teary story about he started with a, how he started with nothing but a stick, some duct tape, and a dream. And through his selfie stick company, Stick it to yourself, became the seventh richest man in the world, all because of Spark. People, I have to tell you, these principles work. He paused for at least 10 seconds. Let me repeat myself, these principles work. Hushed silence filled the room, and he broke it with a cheery, all right then, how about some role playing? Shit, no,
1: <laughs>
5: not role playing. Don't make eye contact, don't make <laughs> eye contact. Michael's shoes became the most fascinating things in the room. I think this gentleman would love to do some role-playing. <laughs> Michael looked up to see t- Tiffany of Team Spark standing next to him. She looked down at him with a passive-aggressive look that made the mean girls in high school look like Girl Scouts.
4: <laughs>
5: Michael took in a deep breath through his nose to calm himself and looked up in surprise at Tiffany. She smelled like sweat and blood and, ad- and inadequacy. A human. A friggin' human had of him. He considered summoning a fireball and smiting her right there, but he'd promised Mr. Reaper he wouldn't do that anymore without filling out form six 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 one three five approval to smite humans in triplicate first. As he stood, the room fell silent. He heard every one of his footfalls as he walked up to the stage. This was not going to be pretty. That's <laughs> it. <laughs>
1: This is the beginning of my novel in progress, which is set about 200 years in the future. It's uh, entitled Alien Entanglements. Lieutenant Jade Mahalona, valedictorian of Space Corps Academy, class of 06, rested her tired feet on a noisy sidewalk cafe in sublevel 78 of deep Indianapolis and took a bite of Danish. A woman holding... Hands with a six year old glanced her way and crossed the street to avoid her. Actually, the woman was avoiding Tumbleweed, Jade's partner. Earth's entertainment industry had exaggerated the remarkable abilities of Dasipods to superhero proportions ship busting, glazer eyes, impenetrable shell, and 10 meter long tentacles. What kind of message was this child getting about aliens? When Jade was six, she excitedly awaited the arrival of the EW Quillip ship as it decelerated into the solar system. She thought of her classmates enjoying the blue and white of Earth from space instead of the gray of basalt street tunnels. She'd volunteered for the Experimental Joint Patrol program straight out of Space Corps Academy to get some experience with aliens. Only later had she discovered there was no outer space involved in the patrols. Tumbleweed had been silent for a couple of minutes. Usually he was rather chatty. Jade guessed he was talking to someone on his comm. We have new orders, he said. Two tourists have gone missing in an unfinished warehouse district south of here. My commander just called with instructions to patrol the area. We will show police presence and investigate suspicious activity. We must leave immediately. Jade retightened the laces on her boots. Tumbleweed extended his lower brood feet and began rolling towards the street. The pod moved by cartwheeling along on two rows of root feet, meter-long broom-like branches that served as hands and feet he, when he was mobile and as roots when he was planted. Technically, Tumbleweed was a mobile plant, based on an anima mechanical biology. His basketball-sized central core supported his root feet, plus two rows of plasmonic laser eyes, each eye as powerful as any handheld weapon Jade had ever carried. Jade crammed the rest of her Danish into her mouth and chased after Tumbleweed. The orders are simple enough for a half-height sapling to follow. Dazepods communicated via modulations in their laser eyes, and Tumbleweed spoke through a universal translator belt strapped across one of his eyes. Why would the local police oppose giving us this assignment? Why would they say it required special knowledge of the territory? We have a map. The translator belt around Jade's waist flopped up and down as she ran to catch up. I don't know, but sometimes human police departments can be awfully protective of their jurisdictions. As they walked down the busy sidewalks of the urban business strip, storefronts cut into the rock, broadcast slogans and images at them on the commercial band. Jade's communication implant heard a double-wide storefront say, whether you need fusion or fab, IST will install a new unit within the hour. Tumbleweed must have been listening to, Your streets sound like a Merck marketplace. I assume IST is the name of the person who bought basic fabricator and cold fusion technologies from the entangled worlds. Jade suppressed an urge to tell Tumbleweed that the most accurate translation for IST was, I sold Terra. Instead, she said, IST is short for interstellar trading, the name of a company, a band of people who got together to buy the fusion and fabricator technologies. The Mercs drove a hard bargain, not just in credits, but in Earth's cultural heirlooms. We had to give them the Mona Lisa, Michelangelo's David, and every one of the Chinese terracotta warriors to name a few. No, Homo sapiens drove a hard bargain, Tumbleweed said. The Mercs usually achieve ownership of major real estate and mineral rights as well. Jade should feel proud of her species, but she felt like the Entangled Worlds, and the Mercs in particular. Had taken advantage of humans' desperation during the Malthusian famine of the 22nd century. That and the niche requirement left many people feeling a bit of resentment at the EW. The next storefront cheered her with a mural of beautiful, larger-than-life children. Get the latest designer gene from Hargrove. High IQ, high sports aptitude, high social skills, all for one low price. Hargrove Industries was strictly a human operation, even though EW membership would require humanity to evolve into a specialized niche in their star spanning civilization. The aliens' own laws forbid them from directly interfering in the genetics of humanity. Half a dozen protesters milled about in front of the next doorway. A cheerful billboard above the protesters' heads flashed images of hairy, gray, ape like Wooferlop M with a smiling human actor. The actor beckoned, come to Alpha Clinic. When human medicine failed me, Alpha Clinic cured my leukemia overnight. The clinic ad went on to describe cures for other types of cancer, Alzheimer's disease, polio. Jade concentrated on the demonstrators. They were peaceful, they sullen, carrying signs like, will for laps, go home, and say no to alien invasion of your body.
3: Visit Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing for show notes, links, reviews, special guests, videos, and more. Email us at Publishing at gmail.com. Sound effects from the Free Sounds Project. Music by Asymmetry, found at musically.com. No authors were seriously damaged in the making of this podcast.